Amari Salazar with the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Trust, but verify. The well-known proverb speaks to the heart of the scientific method, which builds on the results of others, but requires that data be collected in a way that can be repeated with the same results. Beyond just recreating the conditions of a physical experiment, the computational analysis of data also factors into scientific reproducibility. On the podcast today are Dan Stanzione, Executive Director of the Texas Advanced Computing Center and Associate Vice President for Research at the University of Texas at Austin. Also joining us is Doug James, former Deputy Director for High Performance Computing at the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Computational reproducibility can mean many things to many people. What does computational reproducibility mean to the Texas Advanced Computing Center? As you mentioned, it's kind of a complicated question. So computational reproducibility is a subset of the broader and even harder topic of scientific reproducibility that adds a few layers beyond just the computational part and being able to reproduce things. Simply put, it's being able to go back and do the same experiment later and get the same answer. And there's a lot of reasons that's difficult to do. One is the hardware and software systems that underlie the computers that we run these experiments on will change a lot over time partially just because of upgrades to various things, partially because of needing to do security patches and things like that. But normally the code that you use to run your program relies on a bunch of libraries and a bunch of components in the operating system and a bunch of factors in the hardware, and those may change. And so you go back and run a computation 10 years later, you may not get the exact same answer. Not always necessarily bad. You know, some of that is just rounding error, right? You do three or four multiplications and you do them in a different order and you have a fixed number of bits to represent a number you might get a slightly different answer. So I think the real question though is, okay, if you can't say that the bits are identical, you compare the two files, all the ones and zeros are in all the same places and they're not identical, well, what's close enough, right? If it's off by a 10th of a percent from the last time you ran it, is that significant or not? So there's the need to say, well, if we can't get the exact same answer bit for bit, what's good enough, what's close enough, what's a scientifically valid way to represent that? And I think that's what we're after. Reproducibility means many things to many people because it is, in fact, many things, and it has many aspects. If you want to start a fight at the Texas Advanced Computing Center, walk into a room with five people and ask them what reproducibility is, and you'll get six answers. I'm going to give you mine. I like the definition that I first heard from Dr. Lorena Barba at George Washington University. She describes reproducibility as conducting your research as if someone might want to do it again. That means traceability, that means automation, that means transparency, that means the ability to survive the inspection of one's peers to give them the confidence that if they needed or wanted to do this again, they could. An example is in order. If you're not tightly connected to computing, think about the Hubble telescope, a very, very important, powerful, valuable instrument. But time on that telescope is precious. The experiment that you conduct over the course of a week or two weeks or a month is an experiment that people might want to reproduce but the cost of doing so may be so high that that might not be practical. Nonetheless, you want to conduct your research as if someone might want to do it again. To give 
the reviewers, the collaborators, the competitors, the community, the confidence that what you did is repeatable to the degree that I can look at it and have confidence that this was something worth doing. Would you speak to um, what TAC has been doing, the Texas Advanced Computing Center, to make research more reproducible? Yeah, so there's a number of things that we're trying to do. I would say this is a work in progress for us at the moment, but an area where we want to put a lot of emphasis over the coming year or two and hopefully make some additional strides. But I think we've laid a lot of the groundwork to do this. So one of the reasons things, well, there's a couple of reasons we're addressing, but one of them is just simply that you can't figure out exactly what somebody did to get to their answer. And that's sort of the broader question in scientific reducibility. I'd say there's a few broad questions that make this hard. And the sort of general societal challenge, one is, for instance, there's a push at some of the federal agencies that unless the data that underlies it is peer-reviewed and available, then that's not a valid basis for a reproducible study. Well, there's a million cases where that can't be true, most notably in medicine, right? If you're studying big groups of people, there's various privacy concerns. You don't know how everybody was necessarily consented. Can you use it again for a new study? What if those people aren't available anymore to change their consent when they signed up to make their data available? So if you limit yourselves to public data, you limit yourself in any case where anybody asserts any privacy anywhere in the world over the data, then it's not open data. So there's no way to reproduce that. One is simply cost, right? If you spent $20 million doing a long-term ecological study of change over time and spent 20 years collecting data and doing the analysis, you need another $20 million to repeat that study. Very few people want to pay $20 million to do work that's already been done. There's sort of little we can do about those first two problems, but the third problem is just there's a lot of stuff that's detailed that may not be written down, right? If you have a graduate student doing a simulation and they made a little change to the code, or you don't know exactly what set of parameters they used when they ran the code, or you don't know what version of the code they used to produce a particular data graph from seven years ago or 10 or 20 years ago, you need to be able to sort of document and figure all that out. And those kind of problems I think we can help with. And so um, there's a few concrete things we're doing. One is expanding our use of containers throughout sort of the high-performance computing ecosystem. Containers are just sort of a very lightweight technology for virtualization where we can sort of store not only the code that you used, but the sort of environment around it, the operating system, the libraries, so that we can go back and get the sort of same software environment back and just store the whole thing. Say I use the code NAMD, big molecular dynamics code we used a lot. Not just that I use NAMD to get this answer, it's that here I have an image that says I use NAMD 2.14.32 with this set of compilers and this set of libraries, and we can reproduce that whole software environment. So that helps get part of the way. Um, another one we've seen is we have more and more users, and we're trying to steer a lot of new users in this direction, who come to us through gateways or through web services or various other um, ways to get to the machine where we have some places to insert ourselves in the software layer between what the user is asking us to do and what gets run. This is hard when a user just logs into the computer, builds their own code, and runs stuff. They're sort of doing their own thing, and we always support that flexibility. But if they come and select the version of NAMD we have published through a web service on the web, that gives us several different things. One, we know which version they ran um, and how it was built. Two, we have this place where they're interacting with us on the web to track what they're doing and sort of save that workflow over time, right? So if we can both have metadata, which is just basically information about what they were doing, but if we can store the metadata around their workflow, right? They chose this service, then they chose this service, then they chose this service. If we can preserve the data and then we can build a container to preserve the software environment, 
we have a lot of pieces that help make things more reproducible. So our strategy is to just sort of keep pushing those technologies forward and maybe expose to the users a little more about what the best practices are in using those to be reproducible. You know, when I think about reproducibility in computational research, and I think about supercomputing, it's interesting to ask the question, what is different about supercomputing and what is the same about supercomputing compared to other computing? When people think of supercomputing, the first thing they think of is scale. They think of doing things across many, many thousands of processors, for example. And certainly there are questions and issues related to reproducibility when you're conducting research at scale. Another thing you think about is parallelism. The essence of supercomputing is writing computer programs that can operate in parallel, do more than one thing at one time. And this creates some interesting questions, challenges, and issues related to reproducibility. When you were in Algebra one class, for example, you learned some rules of mathematics that allowed you to understand that there's more than one way to conduct a calculation, that if you have three numbers to add, you can add them in any order and you're going to get the same answer. And in some sense, that's true, unless you're on a supercomputer, in which case you're going to discover that when you're doing things in parallel and you don't necessarily have or even want complete control over the order in which things occur, that computers working in finite precision arithmetic can produce slightly different answers depending upon the order in which the calculations are performed. And you deliberately exploit that capability by doing things in parallel and allowing computations to occur in orders that you don't completely control. That affects the degree to which you can reproduce your results. So scale and order of operations, parallelism, are two issues related to supercomputing. I'm not interested in those two. The one that interests me is a third aspect of supercomputing. One of the big difference between tax Stampede 2 supercomputer and your laptop in your lab or at home is that you control the configuration and the software on your laptop, but you don't on Stampede. Stampede is designed to support the needs of thousands of users using many different software packages, and your needs and my needs are different. And when maintenance is over next week, the configuration of Stampede 2 might be slightly different in ways that you don't completely control or even see. And so one of the great challenges in reproducibility is to empower you, the end user, to manage your software environment, your account, your research space, if you will, in a way that puts you in control. Now, TAC has a lot of tools that are designed to help you do this, but I want to talk about one in particular that you might not think of, and that is the module system, the system that allows you to load the software that you need as a chemist or I need as a mathematician or someone else needs as a genomics researcher that allows you to load the software that you need with the versions of the software that you want with the libraries that you need to be compatible with your software and to do that in a repeatable, transparent way. The module system, which by the way, the one we write called LMOD is written and maintained at TAC by Robert McClay. 
The module system has commands that give you insight into what you can load, what you have loaded. It allows you to save and preserve and quickly recover your favorite collections of software so that you can come to the table tomorrow with the same software that you had today. And in particular, it's designed to make managing and controlling the software environment easy and repeatable for the individual user. That's the kind of thing that tech does in the supercomputing environment to promote and enhance reproducibility. What's the most important thing you want people to know about scientific computational reproducibility? I think that we as a community tend to think of reproducibility as a burden. We tend to think of it as a tax. We tend to think of it as an yet another thing that's consuming our time, our money, our resources. And I would encourage my colleagues to try to think of reproducibility as something that makes their lives easier. When you write down what you did, when you script it, when you automate it, when you can push a button and do it again, you make your own life easier. When you have a problem and you can submit a ticket and say to a consultant, can you help me fix my problem? And the consultant says, sure. Can you set me up to observe it? Can you set me up to reproduce it? Can you set me up to watch it happen? Your life is easier. And I like to believe that when you automate and something fails, you have a recording that allows you to fix it. When you automate and something succeeds, you have a recording that allows you to leverage it. Reproducibility makes my life easier. That's what I want my colleagues to know. I think two things are the big takeaways here. One is that computational reproducibility is just a subset of what we need to do for scientific reproducibility, that there's still lots of work to do. Even if we can make the computer repeat things perfectly, that doesn't solve the entire scientific reproducibility problem. And the other thing is that just because we don't get the exact same bits every time we run something doesn't mean the answer isn't scientifically valid. And so a lot of this is not about changing the way we compute to get the exact same set of ones and zeros. It's understanding the meaning of these answers and what is roughly the same and what really represents an error. You've been listening to Doug James and Dan Stanzione of the Texas Advanced Computing Center. For TAC, I'm Jorge Salazar.